every one of you have treated me uh, very well. Uh, to my face, that is. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and uh, I, am, I am so thankful for that. Um, you know, I, I was meditating on the life of Samson. I was actually watching a, a, a dramatization of it a few months back. And right after Samson, this is not what I'm preaching on. Uh, right after Samson uh, fights the thousand Philistines, he's just wore out. I mean, but wow, the power of God that moved. And he needed a drink. He was thirsty. And so uh, the Bible teaches us that God clave a place in the jawbone of the donkey and gave him the drink that he needed. And I just thought, Lord, you know, I have been in so many battles. I feel like spiritually speaking, I have fought a thousand Philistines and I've been wounded. Some of those battles, I think I've won some, I'm not sure. Uh, but through Christ, we have won them all. Amen. Uh, and I just need a drink, you know, uh, and what a better place to get a drink than the well. Amen? Amen. And so we're all here. We're all on the same team and we are all here to, uh, get help and grace from God and to plug in wherever we possibly can, where God fitly, jointly fits us together for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Um, I'm originally, just a little bit about me, I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. I lived the first 18 years of my life there. Uh, then the Lord saved me and called me to preach and also called me away from my hometown, family, and church. So the last 30 years, so you put that together, I'm 48, all right, uh, I've been preaching the Word of God mainly evangelistically in about 19 states and have also pastored 17 of those years. I've witnessed God do many mighty and beautiful things. But I've also been troubled on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Uh, being from Tampa, my team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, all right? Uh, starting in 1976, many times I sat in the rain with only about 30,000 people in an NFL stadium, get that draped in a poncho to watch them throw interceptions, miss catches, and field goals, all right? Uh, finally, finally in 2003, they won the Super Bowl under uh, Coach John Gruden. And I'm saying this for a reason this morning, because they had uh, under the leadership of John Gruden a mental object to sustain their determination and perseverance until they won Super Bowl 37. And that was a phrase, pound the rock. And so they had this physical rock and the whole team, and they just pound that rock. And what it was is it was a thing for maturity. Don't get excited because we won this game and our record is this. We won this uh, division championship. We're still not there yet. We're getting there. And so pound the rock. And if you ever went back to watch that Super Bowl, you'll see John Gruden go like this. And that's what that means of pounding the rock. And although the team prayed and probably had some born-again Christians in their organization, there's a much better rock in whom to go and in whom to trust, thank God, and it is Jesus Christ. And Deuteronomy 32, 31, the Bible says, for their rock is not as our rock. I'll lead you to the text shortly. We're not supposed to pound Jesus, but to love him, to trust him, obey him, and speak to him. 
It is this picture of Christ as our rock that I want to preach today, mainly from the Old Testament. Jesus as our rock speaks mainly of his immutability. And all that is, is a fancy theological word that speaks of one of God's attributes that he does not change. He never changes. Life is full of change. I'm standing in a place now that I thought I never would be, uh, but some have absolutely no control over the changes of their lives. Some have caused or added to the trouble, but the Bible states of God in Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8 says the same of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray you will leave today saying with King David, the Lord is my rock, Psalm 18, 2, or that you will cling tighter to your rock, Jesus. Now, if you would find in your Bibles 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and let us stand in honor of God's word today, 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. If you find it, say amen. And if you didn't bring your Bible, we've got it up on the screen for you here this morning. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's a reference to the Old Testament Israelites of the abiding presence of God that led them by a pillar of, of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they all passed through the Red Sea. We know that story. And were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat now they had the manna from heaven and they had the quail, but he's talking about how he even caused them to hunger on purpose that they would hunger more for spiritual things. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live by Deuteronomy 8.3. And verse 4, and did all drink, here we go, the same spiritual drink, for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. I want to preach God being my helper today on that spiritual rock found in verse 4, halfway through it. That spiritual rock. Pray with me if you would. God, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control. We thank you for the victory that you gave us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person, God, that is here today. And Lord, give us, God, the anointing. Fill us on the inside. Come upon us on the outside. Help us to minister to your people today. If there's anybody here not saved, God, let them cling to the rock, Lord, today, and never let go. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I love preaching out of the Old Testament. My pastor, Roger Duncan, in Tampa, Florida, uh, he, that's how he preached, and I just really got interested in studying the Old Testament. It speaks of Jesus either by direct prophecy or in type or picture, direct prophecy would be 
Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then Matthew 1, 23, when Jesus is born, that Old Testament scripture is quoted again, and then uh, Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. That's the Old Testament given a direct prophecy statement of Jesus Christ. But then there are typologies or pictures, many of them, some of them more obvious, some of them hidden. But if we search the scriptures, we can find them with the inspiration and the illumination of the Holy Ghost. Now let me quote a few verses to you. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7 says, Wherefore, when he, that's Jesus, cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. The Lord could not redeem us on the cross. God is a spirit in John chapter 4, but he had to possess a human body and die on the cross. That's what he's referring to here. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, watch this, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And that, when he says in the volume of the book, he's talking about the Old Testament, the first 39 books of our completed Bible, that in the volume of that Old Testament, it speaks and it is written of Jesus let me give you a couple more. John 5, 39, 45, and 46. Jesus told the religious people of the day that didn't even know the Bible, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. He's talking to the Jews. The New Testament scriptures had not even been penned yet. And he's saying, search those Old Testament scriptures and you'll see that they speak of me. And then he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. And then in Luke 24, 25 through 27, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus has died. He's already raised from the dead. But many are confused whether or not he really did or not. And when he joins them, they're confused. And basically Jesus answers and says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory, his death, burial, and resurrection. And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them the, the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Beginning at Moses, you have one of the best pastors in the nation. I'm sure he's taught you that that is the first five books of the Pentateuch of the Bible. And so turn with me. We're going to look in one passage of scripture for the body of the message. It's Exodus 17. Exodus 17, verses 5 through 7. Exodus 17, 5 through 7, and we're going to see that in this scripture, we're going to look at one typology or picture of Jesus Christ. Up to this point, mainly God had pictured his son as Adam's, Adam and Eve's coats of skin and, and then Abraham's ram and, and uh, uh, also uh, the tree that was cast into the bitter water of Marah in Exodus 15. I mean, it was, uh, it was bitter water. And Moses cast a tree into the bitter water and the waters were made sweet. Listen, if you're bitter at God this morning, if you're bitter at somebody in this building, let the love of Jesus and that message of him dying on the tree uh, soak into your heart and he'll make those bitter waters sweet. You see what I'm saying? There's pictures of Jesus 
all throughout the Old Testament, but today, that spiritual rock. So the Bible says in Exodus chapter 17, it teaches us that Israel's thirsty. You may come here this morning spiritually thirsty. They're complaining. Uh, they're griping against God, against Moses. And Moses basically says, what do I do, God? What do I do with these people? And then we read verses 5 through 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people, take with thee of the elders of Israel thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa or Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Out of this text, I'm going to preach on that spiritual rock. Number one, we see that spiritual rock is a solid rock in verse 6. Notice the Bible says, Behold, I will stand. God says to Moses, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, or that's synonymous with Mount Sinai, where God uh, gave Moses the Ten Commandments. What about that rock? Well, travelers have described what is to be the rock smitten by Moses on this day. It is said to be a vast block of granite, 15 feet long. We're talking about a big rock. 10 feet broad and 12 feet high. It has holes and channels which could have been formed only by the bursting and running out of water. It's there. It's fact. It's history. The granite or solid rock speaks of the truth of Christ's word, the only trustworthy foundation upon which to build your life and to take you into eternity. Deuteronomy 32, verse, 30, verse 3 and 4. 32, 3 and 4 says, Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So it mentions God. He's a rock. And in the, in the way that he is truth. You know, we get lied to. We've all lied. We've believed a lie. And things uh, get all out of, uh, out of place. Uh, but it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. There is a solid rock, thank God, of a truth. And that truth he is the Lord Jesus and his word. I want to take Simon Peter and bring it down to earth for you this morning. Jesus prophesied of him in John 1.42 and he said, and he brought him to Jesus and when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon. That means, that name means you're unstable, buddy. I mean, you're so, you are so emotional. You're way up, then you're way down. And we saw that in his life. One minute he's walking on the water, and the next minute he's sinking. One minute he's confessing that Jesus is the Christ. The next minute he's saying, I don't even know who he is. He's unstable. Jesus said, you are Simon right now, but by the time I get done with you, thou shalt be called Cephas which is by interpretation a stone. 
And we see this concept of Jesus in his word and faith in his word as a rock in Matthew 16, 17, and 18 associated with Simon Peter. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. What did he just do? He did what none of the others did, and he confessed Jesus for who he was. It was on the coast of, of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said different things. And he said, whom do ye say that I am? And uh, only one, Peter stood up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. Oh, Remember I told you what I was going to make out of you? Right now in this moment, you're being that guy. I mean, sometimes we are that Cephas, and sometimes we're that Simon, you know? Right now you're doing good, so I'm going to call you by that name. Thou art Peter! But that Greek word, uh, uh, that Greek word, uh, Petro, is a little pebble. Then he uses a different word. And upon this rock, Petra, an immovable stone like this granite stone in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the wilderness there in the Old Testament that Moses struck. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was he saying? Peter, what you just did by confessing me as the Christ, the Son of the living God, it is faith in Jesus Christ that builds his church. And you know what I love about this church is that it's his church. Amen. If we'll stay out of the way, thank God, and let it be his church, not yours, not anybody, not mine, nobody's, but his church, it'll be a great church. He'll build it. Amen. But then Peter's faith is tested. Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, you know why he called him Simon? Twice. Because, man, he's like, you're not going to die. Jesus said, the chief priests are going to they're gonna, uh, uh, crucify me, and they're going to they're gonna arrest me, and they're going to kill me. And Peter said, no, we ain't letting that happen to our Jesus. You know, I'll bust his mouth. I mean, that's what he's saying. Seriously. You know, so he's in the flesh now, Branson. So he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Isn't that the truth today? Wow, that's the truth. But I have prayed for thee, thank God, that thy faith fail not. That's his keeping power right there. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee, both in the prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. That was the prophecy of Jesus. They're all searching for who is that prophet that Moses prophesied about, who is also to be the Christ, the anointed one of God, to save the world, the Son of God. And any prophet, if they had one word fall to the ground or if they said something that didn't come to pass, they were noted as a false prophet and stoned to death. Just one time if they were wrong, you're false. So this didn't sound like what Peter wanted to hear. And guess what happened? When, they, when he saw those come to arrest him, 
And he saw them, him go to trial. And he saw them buffet him and things like that. And he knew that capital punishment by the Roman government was coming. Then Peter began to doubt and to think, you know, maybe God has tricked me. You ever feel that way? Man, I was trusting in Jesus. I was following him. And then now this happens. You ever been that way before? I sure have. But I want you to see what happens here. All right? So they were thinking Jesus was going to come and reign as a physical king and give them power over the Romans. Who's going to be the greatest, Lord? I mean, when we stomp on them, all the miracles that you do, man, we're going to take Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus. We're going to, they're not going to be able to tax us anymore. We're going to tax them. They're going to bow down to us. I want to be on the right here. I know I'm going to be on the right. I'm going to be on the left. They had this all messed up. But when they saw the Messiah, and now he's being arrested, and he's being accused of these things falsely, and he's going to be crucified. It messed with Peter's mind and his emotions. He, he began to doubt whether or not he was the Christ. And he also began to fear for his own life because I'm a follower of him. If they did that to him, they're going to do the same thing to me. But watch what happens. We're talking about the solid rock that it doesn't matter if we believe it or not or feel like it or not or things look like it or not. What the Lord Jesus says will come to pass. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 75, that after Jesus had been there and Peter had denied that he even knew him, three times when the third time came, the rooster crowed, didn't it? And the Bible tells us, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Did you get that this morning? He's doubting whether or not he's that prophet. But then when something comes to pass, to the detail of, I denied him once, twice, three times. He said, you're going to deny, deny me three times. And then at that third time, the rooster's going to crow. And when that happened, he was like, wow, nothing he has ever said to me was not the truth. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And we can trust in him. Thank God. You see, here today, we need to understand, even if situations don't look like we thought they should have looked like by now, and they don't feel like what we thought they should have felt like by now. And we don't like the world that's against us and that we're persecuted for the cause of Christ. Whatever you're suffering, whatever confusion, satanic battle is on you today. Thank God it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is a solid rock and what he says goes. Amen. Thank God. When Peter saw that the king of Israel was arrested, tried and crucified, he began to doubt if he was truly that prophet and Messiah. But then when these things began to pass, when Jesus began to be numbered with the transgressors, Peter's doubts and fears caused him to deny him three times. Satan truly was trying to sift him as wheat. I thought about this story years ago. It's a true story about a little boy that was caught in a flood in our country. And he was able to grab onto this big old rock. He was, he was not very, he was not very uh, mature. He was young. He grabbed on this rock and the flood came and homes were swept away. It was awful. And it was one of these survival stories, you know. 
And so the kid made it and the press, they got there and the kid's still shaking. He's still in shock. And they said, wow, you know, this such and such home swept away and these people died and you're so little. And how did you make it all there? All by yourself. All he could say was, I shook but the rock didn't shake. Amen. Thank God. Listen here, folks. Uh, today, sometimes it'll look like in our life and they'll cause us to shake. I'm telling you, in my life, when my twin girls had to be, one of them had to be flown uh, to children's hospital when they were born, thought she was going to die. I began to shake, but the rock didn't shake. When our house was struck by lightning, they shook, but the rock didn't shake. When we got in a head-on collision, it killed a drunk driver. I shook, but the rock didn't shake. When we started church in Arkansas and all hell was launched against us in the political reins and everything else to shut us down, thank God I shook, but the rock didn't shake. When the unexpected happened in my life that I thought could never happen, this wonderful home was busted and broken. Through it, I have shaken, but thank God the rock doesn't shake. He is faithful and we can trust in him and the the love of my life is sitting right there right now. Thank God. I'm telling you what. God is a good God. Amen. He is a solid rock. Oh, I tell you what. This day that we're living in the devil's raging, is he not? Satan desired to sift Peter as wheat. And this morning you may be here and the devil is just after you. You may have failed and you may have an addiction in your life or you just have done wrong. You just don't think that you can ever recover whatever the devil's throwing at you. Listen, the Bible tells us that God is also spoken of as an eagle and, and under the covert of his wings we trust. And guess what eagles do? Eagles don't build their nest just anywhere where other birds do. They build them high up on a rock. And listen here, you build your house. You can't go back where you are right now with the grace of God. Yes, we reap what we sow, accept it, move on, thank God. But listen here, folks, the only thing that could threaten an eagle's nest, because I mean a lion can't get up there, tiger can't climb that tree, but a snake can slither up, even on an eagle's nest. But do you know what the... The eagle does. It's got that, that keen eyesight. Sees that snake coming. Ah, remember the nest is built on the rock. And so goes down and grabs a hold of that snake with its talons. Then soars into the heavens. And then swoops down like a jet and slams that snake right on the rock. Whatever the devil's come at with you, Brother Branson, you know what we can do through the authority of Jesus Christ? Not because we're anything, because we're nothing, and in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, but thank God, if we'll call on God, he'll say, I hear you, and I see that serpent coming, trying to mess up your life, trying to kill you and your family, but thank God, he'll take that devil, and he'll soar up, and God will throw him on the rock. Thank God, Jesus Every time through prayer, through ministries like the well, any way that God can help you, get in on it, amen. There's power in that wall, but it's not gonna do you any good if you don't plug into it. And thank God, I'm glad you're here today to plug in to the power that is available to you. No wonder 
in that illustration, the Bible says in Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4, the scripture says, Hear my cry, O God. This may be you here today. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Then don't get worried. My first point is always the longest one. I don't know why. It's just how it happens, all right? So this rock, this spiritual rock, was a solid rock, is a solid rock. But number two, the spiritual rock was a smitten rock. Chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, verse 5 talks about the rod. Moses, take that rod in your hand. What did that rod speak of, church? Well, it spoke of the judgments and the plagues of God, remember? Stretched out the rod, the rivers returned to blood, and the frogs and the flies and all that. So God used the rod for, to send his judgments or his plagues upon Egypt. God said, I want you to most take that rod, which speaks of judgment, and then I want you to smite the rock, which we know now is Jesus. This speaks of no other than God the Father judging his son on Calvary so we wouldn't have to be judged. I'm telling you, Jesus is all in the Old Testament. This spiritual rock was a smitten rock. Zechariah 13, 7, Awake, O Lord. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Mark 14, 27, Jesus referred to that, said unto them, Ye shall be offended of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Matthew 26, 67 through 68, they did spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he? that smote thee. Listen, Jesus was smitten. His mind was smitten. His emotions were smitten. His reputation was smitten. And his body was broken and smitten for us. Mentally and emotionally, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' mind and emotions were smitten. All right? I preach a message, I ain't gonna preach it now, where when Jesus had a nervous breakdown, that's exactly what happened. We see the, the, the deity of Christ or that he's God in scriptures like he said, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus came forth. But we see his humanity probably more than anything in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible tells us God had to send angels to strengthen him there in that battle. The Bible tells us there in Luke 22 that being in an agony uh, that he prayed the more earnestly and sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's actually a medical diagnosis. The street term is called bloody sweat. Cal Ray Evans has been here. His dad was diagnosed with that being under so much stress in the ministry and over souls and battling the devil that that. Uh, what happens is that uh, the blood in the, in the bloodstream uh, mixes with the sweat and the capillaries and the blood mixes with the sweat, comes through the glands, and it is blood and sweat, and it actually comes out. It's secreted out. But a human being has to be under tremendous stress. Listen, Jesus was human. You know, we've all talked about, yeah, I'll do that. I, oh, yeah, I know it's going to be tough, but I'll do it. But when it comes down to doing it, Father, I've been with you through all eternity. We're co-equal. 
I ain't looking forward to them mocking me like this, putting me to shame, being numbered with the transgressors. I'm not looking forward to the scourge, the crown of thorns, the nails. I'm not looking forward to any of this, but above all, you know, if you was right there by my side, Father, I think I could do it. But that moment that you're going to have to turn your head and I'm going to be all by myself. Oh, God. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he's about to lose his mind. He's praying. He's sweating. He is praying. His emotions are at the height that they'd ever been in his whole life. I'm telling you, Jesus almost had a nervous breakdown. But I tell you what got him through was his faith and his obedience. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm talking about the rock that was smitten. If your emotions, emotions and mine has been smitten, I mean, tell you what, I've been, through, I've been through so much, I can't talk, do you believe me? <clears throat> I might have had some of those things, they're called some kind of seizures and some TIA things and da 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 and all this stuff. You know, I mean, there's been times I've been under so much stress. I mean, you imagine a family of eight and then the devil's at your ministry and at your home and all this and this, all this stuff happens and, and you're trying to keep things afloat and da 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 financial and everything else. And, and I mean, sometimes it hits me and I'll be trying to say something like, hey, Brother Joplin, it's nice to see you. And it comes out, I mean, there's something that happens there, you know. We've all been through stuff. We've all been through stuff, you know. That we, I mean, come on. But you know what? So has Jesus. And because he's been there, when you come to God through him, he says, Father, I'm telling you, this is tough. Please help them. And boy, he ushers in grace, kicks the devil out of that moment in your life because he was a smitten rock, thank God. He was smitten mentally, emotionally, all right? And then the Bible tells us we know the story. He was scourged. His body begins to break. His blood begins to shed. The Romans took a cat of nine tails, which was a, a vicious whip that had... Uh, three different straps of three each, a total of nine. And they fastened anything of that day that could cut deeply. Uh, animals' teeth, sharpened stones, lead balls that would carry the weight and cut in. And it worked kind of like a, a, a blade uh, shaving uh, you uh, where they had these triggers on the whip. And the Roman soldier knew where to stand and it would go, tsh, tsh, tsh. and each, each consecutive click brought the uh, things that cut the flesh and the organs deeper and deeper. You get that? You study history, even if you're not a Christian today, 50% of the people died through the Roman scourging. Many times through the first last pieces of organs would come out. I mean, we're talking about Jesus' back looked like a, a mass of ribbons of flesh Hanging down. And then, see, he got two sentences. The first one, Pilate said, let's scourge him. Maybe that'll satisfy him. It didn't. So then they said, all right, we'll crucify him. But under this first sentence, they, after they, he was bleeding profusely, they, would, uh, they took his clothes off to do that. If you've been sexually abused, so has Jesus. They took his clothes off, beat him, and put him back, and then on the cross, he hung naked. They just paint something there out of respect, but he hung there exposed, abused. If you've been there, so has Jesus, and he loves you, and he wants to help you today, okay? And so the Bible teaches us there on this scourging, and when you study Roman scourging, you'll see that they put the purple robe on Jesus, all right? 
And then they took that off when you study the gospel accounts. And that was like ripping a surgical bandage off of his back because the cloth, the blood just began to clot. Okay? And then, then it comes back off. So we don't think about things like that. I'm talking about the smitten rock. I'm talking about the one that loved you more than anybody ever has or ever will. I mean, more than any, anybody on this earth, even the best of spouses and closest of children and grandchildren and friends and co-workers, nobody's ever loved you like Jesus. Greater love had no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends, John 15, verse 13. And he did that for you. He was smitten for you. If you failed today, it's not the end of the story. You can come to him because he bled and he suffered and he died for you. Amen? And then that wasn't enough so because it wasn't enough for your sin and mine. So they took him to the cross. He, he, uh, they made him carry that 110-pound crossbar as far as he could up the De La Rosa. He's carrying that weight as far as he can. He's already half dead, falls down. They had to call Simon of Cyrene to help him carry that cross. He makes his way up Calvary's hill and then they put the seven inch nails in his wrists and in his feet. And all oh, listen here, church. Oh, and then they lifted that cross up. Boom. And then he comes down. And somebody says, Well, I think it's in the palm. Well, you study Roman history and they did it right here because the weight of a, of a man's uh, body would rip through if it was just through here. And so to keep him secure on the cross for hours, they put it there. But it's okay because the wrist was considered part of the hand in Bible times. And so when he says they pierced my hands and my feet in Psalm 22, we're still okay with the medical uh, and the Roman history on it as well. So there, and these most sensitive nerves, you know how your circulation, you know, and your legs will tingle and all oh, that hurts. And, ah, I mean, those most sensitive nerves and nails are in and your weight. And so the, the pain just shoots continually, just like that. It's going through. We're talking about the smitten rock today, all right? Now, they would leave a little room in the knees on purpose because what the cruel innovation of the Roman scourging was is was suffocation. The bleeding and all that wasn't, wasn't what killed most of them. It was they would suffocate and die. So you've got a room like this, right? You're exhausted. Well, when you're down here, these pectoral muscles are so tight around the, the chest cavity that you can get air in, but you cannot get air out. You cannot exhale. You'd have to push yourself up, but you, you don't got much strength. That's why the last few words of Jesus were very short. And he did this for you. He's down. He comes up. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He goes down. Woman, behold thy son. Behold my mother. Today shall thou be with me in paradise. Iloba, Iloba, Lama Sabakdana.
first. It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Let me tell you something. Buddha would never think about doing that for you. Muhammad would never think about doing that for you. Gandhi, Aristotle, Plato, the head of the Republicans, the head of the Democrats, the president of Russia, China, Japan, your mom, your grandma. I'm telling you what, but Jesus did for you. He's a smitten rock. He's a solid rock. I think he deserves our life, don't you? We know what happens. He came out of that grave. The Bible tells us because of what he did, you can be forgiven today. Ephesians 2.13 says... And ye who are afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And Ephesians 1, right around in verse 8 9, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Watch this. That spiritual rock is a supplying rock. Say with me. It's a supplying rock. I'll be quick, I promise. Chapter 17 and verse 6 in our text, and the Bible says, And there came, and there shall come water out of it that thy people may drink. You know how scholars say there's anywhere between two and a half million to six million people? How do they get that? Well, we have a book called Numbers. And in that book of Numbers, it tells you when they camped at night, how many people were to, to camp. Tells you the thousands of them. Tells you the exact number to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west of the tabernacle. And then you figure up an average family. If the average family is four or if it's eight with servants, okay, then you've got somewhere between three and six million people. The Bible tells us, and you start thinking, well, is that really real? Did, they, did, did he smoke the rock and did all of them really get a drink? Well, the Bible says... In Psalm 78, 13 through 16, talking about God, he divided the sea, causing the pass through. He made the waters to stand up as a heap. In the daytime also, he led them with a cloud and the night with a light of fire. And he clave the rocks in the wilderness. There you go. Gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Yes, he did it. Amen. John 7, 37 through 39, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to let you know the reason why I wanted to, to, to mention this to you today is because this supply also includes you. There's enough to even include you. I'm telling you what we're talking about, the spiritual rock is a supplying rock. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, 9 that Jesus tasted death for every man, meaning every human being, male and female. Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, thank God, all humanity. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting Life, Galatians 2.20. It's good to know that he loved the world. 
but it's better to know that he loved you. Watch this. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to leave here today knowing and you, you've been able to say, he loved me. Even now, yes, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you stooped. I don't care how many people it's affected. I don't care how low you've been. You may have been suicidal. You think about it all the time. It's, you want to turn your car over, run into a pole, or you think about hanging yourself or taking drugs or, or, or going into a, 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 a garage and, and letting rolling the windows down and letting the, the exhaust, whatever it is, isn't here. That's not the will of God for your life. Satan is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, and there's enough supply for you. Jack Lasseter years ago tells a story about seeing a prostitute in Auburndale, Florida, saved. She walked the aisle, and the, the, the pastor said that she sold herself for $5 that week. Then the evangelist Jack Lasseter gets an airplane, goes back uh, to uh, Raleigh-Durham Airport, and then uh, he uh, leads a millionaire to the Lord in Virginia, and you know why? Because both are spiritually thirsty. Amen. It don't matter if you got a lot or if you don't have any. If you think you're a good old boy or, or a bad old boy or whatever, listen here. Listen, there is enough. And it's all the same. And Jack Lasseter said he had a thought. Prostitute in Florida, millionaire in Virginia, same blood. Amen. Same blood. There's enough for everybody. There's enough for you. God wants to give you not just a little sip. John chapter 10 talks about a hireling that cares for the sheep and the good shepherd that really loves the sheep. You know what the hireling does when it's time for them to get a drink? He just gives them just enough for them to exist, kicks it out of the way. Come on, come on, come on, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I need to be home. Come on, come on. And he gets the sheep. I don't think they talk back to him, but anyway. But so, and he kicks them out of the way and gives them just enough water to exist, but not the good shepherd. You know what the good shepherd does? The good shepherd will draw as many times as he needs to. And he makes sure that every one of his sheep is completely satisfied. Never kicks it out of the way. I'm telling you about his supply for you. Are you thirsty? Thank God. All this made him the saving rock. They would have died without this rock. The Bible refers in Deuteronomy 32, 15. talks about the rock of his salvation. Listen, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. He is the door into the sheepfold of God. John 10.9. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And that's the man Christ Jesus. And he said in John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isaiah 45.22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. He is it. Amen. And then this is the, the invitation is right here. He's all these things, this rock is. But do you know, in Numbers chapter 20, came to the same place, to the same rock, and God told Moses, don't hit the rock. They're thirsty again, they're complaining again, but I want you to speak to the rock. Moses got mad, he got frustrated. And he said, must we fetch you water? Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Uh-oh, what's up, Moses? He did not sanctify God in that statement, and God would not let Moses into the promised land. Have you ever, when you first read that, did you think, oh, come on, God. 
I mean, you know, Moses was faithful in the, in the wilderness and he served you and all that. Have you ever thought about that? Well, he didn't sanctify God when he said, must we fetch you water? And he goes ahead and he hits the rock. You read it in Numbers chapter 20. This is a, a different time than our text that we read. This is later on. Same rock, same land, different time. God says, I want you to speak to the rock and then I'll bring water out. And, God, and Moses disobeyed and he hit the rock twice. And the water came out. But God said, because you did that, Moses, I can't let you in. You know why? Not only because he didn't sanctify God in that by saying, must we fetch you? Because only God was able to do that, not Moses. But because this rock pictures Christ and he's only to be smitten one time. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 10.10 10, that he died once for all. And Hebrews 6.6 6 warns of crucifying the Son of God afresh and putting him to an open shame. What's the answer? Listen, just turn to him with your heart and speak to him. Listen, we already put him on the cross, did we not, by our sin? Amen. And don't ever turn your back on the Lord to the point where you denounce Christ and go to another God or something like that. Listen, God's will is simple. You can be in a you can be a wreck this morning in your sin. And you don't have to do an obstacle course or anything like that to get back to God. You just come with a sincere heart and you speak to him. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. For the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've been saved, been born again, but you're in a wreck today, it's okay. If we confess, speak to the rock. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all say hallelujah there, amen. Be real though, don't just, you know, say, well, I can just keep on, 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 and it don't matter. Don't do that, okay? Final story. You know what? I found myself when I came to Christ as a wreck. And in different ways, in recent years, I have found myself a wreck. Can I get a witness? Has anybody after you've been born again still found yourself as a wreck? I mean a wreck, a mess. I mean, I've had those deals too, man. I'm just going to be real with you. I mean, I've had those deals even before uh, my home uh, broke up, you know, just attacks on the ministry and people in the church, man, I've, I've had them deals, man, where I was, I was like this, man, feeling like I was going to have a nervous breakdown trying to pray and, and just feel like I was going nuts, you know? All things happen in life. Years ago, Dr. Marshall Craig was speaking at a Southern University. All kinds of nice, prominent college students there, mostly from rich families, paying full tuition. And he's preaching back when they used to really welcome this, even in secular universities. And in the invitation, this crippled boy begins to crawl his way down to the altar to come up front to pray. 
And Dr. Marshall Craig, who preached the message, leaned over to the president and said, who's this? He's just coming down the aisle. What's, this? What's going on? He said, oh, he's a cripple boy, and that's how he gets around on campus. And so the man of God with heart broken, Brother Kevin, he meets the, the crippled college student down at the front. And he says, son, how can I help you pray? And with tears in his eyes, he said, preacher, I, I see how God, you preached on how God wants to use you. He said, I see how God can use all these good looking boys and girls and they can walk and, and, and they're not in my condition, but how in the world can God use a wreck like me? And the old wise preacher Branson said this. He said, son, God's just been waiting for a wreck like you. Because you know what? That's the kind of people God can use. You are not going to strut your way and spread your wings like a peacock and come to God and him save you. No way. You must humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You will not be used of God if you think that you're something. Oh, God, you're going to use me. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I'm a good people person. No way. Listen here. It's when you become a wreck. That's when God, if you need to be saved, will save you. And if you want him to really use you, that's when he'll use you the most. The Bible says he, he chooses the weaker things to confound the wise. Glory. That no flesh would glory in his presence. You know, I thought to myself many times, God, why'd you let this happen to me? I was doing your will, talking about my home. I was building a church and preaching revivals and and having good family time. Thought I was being a good husband and a good dad. God, why did you let this happen? If for any other reason, so that I would become lower and lower and realize if God ever does anything in me, I don't want him to say, that's because that guy's a perfect guy. It's because he's got a perfect marriage. It's because he's got a perfect home. It's because he's this or that. No! If anything happens this morning, It'll be one reason, because he is great, because he is great.